I'm Linus. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer, here on Kids Talk Church History. On the vigil of Easter, 379, a group composed mostly of monks and women rushed into a church, attacked the congregants, wounded the preacher, and killed a bishop. They were not terrorists. They were, in fact, followers of the teachings of Arius, a priest who couldn't believe that Christ is fully God. This attack happened as the preacher Gregory of Nazanthius was about to baptize new converts. To the followers of Arius, baptizing people in the name of the three divine persons who were equally God sounded contrary to the biblical teaching that God is one. It also sounded illogical because in math, three can't be one. The other party instead took seriously Christ's command to baptize disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In this episode, we'll see how the church responded. Welcome to another episode of Kids Talk Church History. I'm Trindy, I'm 15, and live in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm Emma, I'm 15, and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm Christian, I'm 13, and also live in Charleston, South Carolina. In this episode, we'll talk about what the church calls heresies. We already mentioned the subject in our episode about Irenaeus, who wrote a book entitled Against Heresies. In that episode, Professor John Baer told us that initially the Greek word used for heresy simply meant choice. Later, the church used it to describe a choice to go against an essential Christian teaching. We'll give some more examples later. We also talked about Arius in our episode with Dr. Carl Truman. Arians believed that Jesus and the Spirit were created by God the Father and were not truly God. There were lots of heresies in the first few centuries after Christ because the church was still discussing things. The problem is, instead of discussing, they often ended up fighting, even physically, as we saw in the opening story. We also talked about Gnostic, Machaeans, Arians, and Pelagians in other episodes, so please click on this episode on our website to find those links. Today, we want to mention a few heresies that have to do with the Trinity, since we promised we would cover them. One of my favorite things is this funny video where these two Irish cartoon characters ask St. Patrick about the Trinity, and he keeps giving them the wrong answers. (laughs) Yeah, that's modalism, Patrick. So that's not actually a true description of Patrick, who in real life gave very correct teachings about the Trinity. We'll see this in an episode we aired just before St. Patrick's Day. But the heresies in this video clip are real. As soon as people start saying the Trinity is like, you know you're in trouble because there is no way human beings can find a proper description or an analogy for the Trinity. Yeah, like when they say the Trinity is like water, that can be found in three forms, liquid, solid, ice, and vapor, they end up describing modalism. And modalism was condemned as a heresy in the Council of Constantinople in 381 because the Bible describes one God in three persons, not one God in three forms. Right. Jesus was a person, not just a form of God. But then how can we actually describe the Trinity? What do you say to people who ask? I would say that Trinity is my sister. (laughs) Very funny, Christian. And yes, for our listeners, Christian is my younger brother. But let's be serious for a moment. We can say that the Trinity is one God in three persons, but it's best not really to explain it. We can say that it is a mystery that is taught in the Bible. Gregory of Nazianzus, you mentioned him in the introduction, and his friends Gregory of Nyssa and Basil did a lot of writing and preaching about this. 
Gregory said something like, as soon as I think of the one God, I am overwhelmed by the splendor of the three. And as soon as I distinguish between the three, I am brought back to the one, which is such a good quote. Yeah, I agree. We can also show people where the Bible speaks clearly about the Trinity. Besides Jesus' command to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is the time when Jesus was baptized by John and the Father spoke while the Spirit descended like a dove. So all three persons of the Trinity were clearly present at that same time. Yeah, that's so true. Well, since we're covering heresies in general, which ones have you found most interesting? For me, it's the Martianites who believe that there was a God of justice and punishment in the Old Testament and a God of love in the New Testament. I think they're still around today, in fact. Although Marcion was expelled from the church, this heresy grew and was considered dangerous. I think I just like Arianism simply because one bishop, I think, he was able to make so many people believe in a wrong teaching. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny to talk about having favorite heresies since we're not heretics. Um, I'm always intrigued by Arianism, like you said, and Gnosticism, and especially how they are still alive today. The thing I find most interesting about Arianism is the influence that it had on the world. Like you were saying, Christian, it had tremendous impact on the political climate of the time. And then the thing I find most interesting about Gnosticism is how widespread it is today, even unconsciously. So in my opinion, it is one of the easiest heresies to fall into, both in its teaching that the body is something to be despised or even ignored, if not hated, and its attempt to know more about God than what he revealed about himself in the Bible. Yeah, that's why it's important to understand these and other heresies and recognize them. Peter warns us in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is all good information, and there's more to come with our special guest in just a moment, but now it's time to look in our mailbox. This time we don't have a question, just a very encouraging letter that we want to share with you. It's from a dad, Ryan, who said, I'm a history nerd, and my four-year-old daughter, Jessica, loves your podcast. We listen to your show, and she hangs on every word. Thank you so much for your work and ministry. It's impacting grown-ups and kids alike. Looking forward to more episodes. Four years old. Ryan wrote that in capitals, and I can see why. That's amazing. Thank you, Ryan, for letting us know. He also sent us some suggestions for future episodes, which we'll be following for sure. And thank you, Jessica, for listening. And to all our listeners, you know we love hearing from you as well. If you have a question or comment, email us at questions at kidstalkchurchhistory.org or visit our website at kidstalkchurchhistory.org. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Justin Holcomb, who is a bishop in the Episcopal Church, a seminary professor, co-host of the Whitehorse podcast, and author of several books, including Know the Heretics. He has also written a few books for children, including God Made Me in His Image. In fact, its publisher, New Growth Press, has offered us a few copies of this book to send to those who write to us. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And now, Dr. Holcomb, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I, uh, I love what you're doing, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Just a quick thing. I was elected bishop, and uh, if other bishops consent, then I will officially become a bishop. So I'm called a bishop-elect. It's like the in-between of being elected a bishop, okay. but not yet a bishop. So, Thank you for that clarification. Um, 
I have listened to another interview with you where you said it's important to distinguish between a true heresy and a simple disagreement because today we use the word heresy too lightly. Can you give some example that kids can understand? Yes. Great question. The, uh, well, yeah, too often people use heresy. We call it the H-bomb where they kind of just drop a heresy bomb on people on things on which they disagree. Um, so for example, like you can have a disagreement about something like, are the gifts of the spirit still for the church today? Like speaking in tongues or something like that. And there's some Christians who believe that they are, some who say they aren't. Well, that's a disagreement in interpreting scripture and theology, but that's not a heresy. And so I've heard people refer to things like your view of baptism or your view of end times, which you all know is called eschatology or something like that, that that's, that those are heresies. And so a heresy is really a going away from a central article of the Christian faith. You covered, you covered a bunch of them in the introduction about Trinity, Jesus being fully man, fully God, things like that. And so, uh, um, it's the word heresies used way too often for things that are not technically heresies to use. Is that helpful? Yeah, thank you. And in another episode of our podcast, a guest told us that heretics didn't mean to write heresies. They just wanted to make some biblical teachings simpler to understand. That still happens today, right? Yeah, that's that's actually what happened. Uh, one of the best examples you already brought up with Arius. Arius taught that Jesus was not fully God, that that God created Jesus, and then he was the first of all creation, and then Jesus created everything else. So the reason he did that is because he was reading John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He's looking at the word begotten and saying, oh, well, I guess Jesus was. So his intent originally was trying to make sense of the clear, um, to him, clear way of reading that passage. And so most of the heretics, this is interesting, most of the heretics were actually very conservative and read the scriptures literally. Sometimes they read it literally where they didn't need to. Like only begotten doesn't mean that Jesus was begotten by the father. It means that he was unique. He's the unique son of God because he's the only son, the second person of the Trinity. So most of the heresies were trying to, were, were because they were trying to do exactly that make a biblical teaching accessible. There's another one, um, Pelagius, and we can unpack these later. I'm giving you examples. Pelagius didn't believe that we needed Jesus to be a sacrifice for sins. He believed that we just needed to follow Jesus as an example. And if we did that, God would accept us. That's a problem because that's called, that's moralism. <laughs> we're, not, we're not saved by our works. And But he said that because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And Pelagius said, well, why would God ask us to do something unless we could actually do it? That's, that's a good question. I think because Jesus was doing something else, he was trying to show us our need for a savior. But Pelagius looked at Jesus's words and tried to apply them. And so those are two examples. Okay. So my former pastor used to say that heretics did some good to the church because they forced Christians to think harder about some biblical teachings. Can you give us some examples? Oh, yeah. They uh, they did. The, the heretics were, I think I said perfectly, they were a gift in one regard. So let's, let's go back to the one 
that was mentioned earlier, Marcionite. Because of, because of Marcion, who was in the, the uh, second century, he said that the Old Testament is this angry God, the New Testament's the nice God. Um, and so we want to, we only want to pay attention to the nice God story parts. Well, that, that required that the church accepted. They were like, no, this, these books of the Bible are authoritative. These are from God. These are revealed from God. So because of Marcion, we actually have clarity on the, the scriptures, what, what books of the Bible should be, are included. So we receive that the church didn't make the canon. The church received the canon of scripture and they acknowledged, um, what they found authoritative and what they 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 believed was authoritative. Or another one. So Arius, going back to the, the heretic who said, um, Jesus is not fully God. Um, he's fully man, but not fully God. Well, because of that, we have the Nicene Creed, uh, one of the most fundamental, foundational, uh, came from a council, the, the, Nicene, the Council of Nicaea, and there's a creed which says Jesus is fully God and, and, and fully God, fully man, uh, light of light, uh, true God from true God. Uh, and so we actually, it, the heretic statement required that the church actually give clarity to say, no, this is what we believe. It, it caused us to crystallize and come together and, and be provide clarity. So those are two examples right there. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you for that. Um, so are there any heresies that have concerned you more than others, like that are now or historically, and why? One that scares me the most, and that's kind of alive and well today still, is Pelagianism. Uh, Pelagius argued with Augustine and said, basically, uh, God has already given you the tools you need, so just follow Jesus as a good example. Uh Pelagius did not believe that Adam and Eve's sin was passed on to us. So Romans 5.12 talks about how we, we are in Adam. We get our sinful nature from Adam. And so we have corrupted natures. Um, and, and Pelagius said, no, 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 no. Adam's influence was a bad example. Adam was a bad example to other people who were bad examples to other people. So it was just a matter of having Adam as a bad example. And what we need is a good example. And so Jesus came to be a good example. So don't, so Pelagius is, um, summarizes Christianity and says, he, Pelagius as a heretic says, don't follow Adam's bad example, follow Jesus's good example. And because he doesn't believe that sin is part of our nature, it's just, we follow bad examples. And so it turns Jesus into just a moral example. Jesus was a lot more than just a moral example. Uh, he fulfilled the law perfectly so we could be declared righteous. His righteousness is given to us. And he died the consequence of our law breaking. So we sin and we're not righteous. We have consequences for sin and we're not righteous. Jesus obeys the law and his obedience, his righteousness is imputed to us and our sins are given to Jesus. So he takes our consequences to call the great exchange. We give Jesus our sin. He takes the consequence. He gives us his righteousness. That's why you summarize in justification and justification is that our sins are forgiven and we're declared righteous. Right. Pelagianism undermines the good news completely and turns Jesus only into a good example. And it has too low a view of Jesus and too high a view right. of ourselves. And, 
that's that one's the most important yeah. one to me right it sounds now. like a lot of the heresies are just taking one like specific passage or one specific element and then ignoring the rest of scripture you know one of the things that my family has been discussing recently is how you always take tricky passages and interpret them with other easier to understand passages and so I guess that's kind of where all the a lot of the heretics want to rise, where they just took one specific passage and they were like, this is how we're going to base our whole doctrine on this one hard to understand verse. Yes. That's it. Emma, you did two things there. One, you assessed heretics very well. That's what's happening. Taking a passage and trying to make it simple and not adhering to it. And then your solution that you said is taking a tricky passage and reading it in the context of the rest of scripture. And especially if it's a tricky passage, there's clarity in other places of scripture. So let clarity there give uh, influence on how you read the tricky passages. Could not agree more. Very well said. Yeah, well, so what you already talked about this a little bit, but what heresies still affect the church or the world around us and in what ways? Yeah, the, the first the first one is um, Pelagianism. So we, we hear that too often. Another one and we found this from the research that's out there by, by uh, various organizations. A lot of people who go to church think that Jesus was just a good prophet, not that he was God or that he was truly man. People go in two different directions. People will say, oh, yeah, he's God, fully God, but he wasn't really human. And others will say, no, he, he's a man. He's a prophet. He's just a man. He's not God. We don't want to worship him like he's God, but we want to honor him because he was a good prophet. That uh, People go in two different directions. There's two different heresies for that. Um, you know, Clearly, Arianism is the one that Jesus isn't God. There's one called Docetism, which is that he's not fully man. But a lot of people still believe that. You all talked about uh, a Lutheran satire video. I show that to my seminary classes when I when I teach because it's so funny and it covers all the heresies. There are numerous Trinitarian heresies still floating around, but the ones that ones that I feel um, in my soul and my heart are is really Pelagianism because it, it's it's the opposite of the good news, and that goes right along. If you if you if you get Jesus wrong, you get the good news wrong. Since heretics usually think that they are interpreting the Bible correctly, how can we be sure that we don't fall into heresies as well? Ooh. Well, uh, <laughs> this is why it's important to uh, have some particular language. Scripture is the final authority. People, another word for that is magisterial authority. And Calvin, Luther, Cranmer, some of those in the Protestant tradition have referred to the tradition, the creeds and councils of the church as also authoritative. It's called ministerial authority. So uh, scripture is the final and only uh, highest authority, but there are other authorities underneath that. So uh, the Nicene Creed gives us boundaries beyond which we should not go. To be a Christian, you need to be able to say the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is summarizing the teaching of scripture that's been agreed upon by leaders of the church, pastors of the church, elders in the church, bishops in the church for 2,000 years or 1,700 years, depending on when it was said. The Apostles' Creed, say, so look at the Apostles' Creed. That draws a circle. Stay within the Apostles' Creed. Stay within the Nicene Creed. The, the definition of Chalcedon, which is actually, some people call it the Chalcedonian Creed, but it's a definition, technical term, but 
Chalcedon tells us what we should believe about Jesus, uh, the Athanasian Creed. So stay within your creeds. Another way is to look at your confessions. Different denominations have different confessions. So the Westminster Confession, the if you're if you're Presbyterian or Reformed, the Augsburg Confession, the London Baptist Confession. Some people look at the 39 Articles if you're Anglican. So in addition to the creeds and councils, which are the big circle, you have additional ones. So uh, if 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 something you start teaching doesn't fit with the Nicene Apostles Creed, Chalcedonian Creed, and the confession of your church, that's dangerous. You don't want to don't want to go outside of those. So stand. I want to encourage people to stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before you. And there, some people have died for those creeds and councils. Uh, there are some people who were persecuted for doing that. And it stood the test of time. And it's all of those creeds and councils seem to be the clear teaching of scripture agreed upon by all the leaders of the church. And so there's some there's some comfort in that. That's that's how you stay away from heresies. Don't look for new, trendy. This sounds really neat. Uh, this is a creative way of saying it. Um, it's not usually the best impulse when it comes to talking about our Lord um, and the God we worship who revealed himself to us in Scripture and in Jesus Christ. We want to honor God's revelation in Scripture and in Christ. As you're saying, some heresies are very dangerous, but like example, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, how can you trust that he will save you and Pelagianism, how can you take comfort that God is saving you? Um, but how are heresies about the Trinity, like modalism, dangerous? Yeah, yeah, it, it, that, it's true. It's, it's easier to see how your doctrine of Christ is an obviously dangerous one that undermines salvation. Same thing about the Trinity, though, because modalism, let's, I just want to define the term. You all know what it is. I know that. But just for your listeners, Modalism believes that God is one in essence and one in person. So uh, they don't believe in the, the teaching of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, who are distinct. The Father is God, but the Father is not the Son in the Holy Spirit. The Son is God, but the Son is not the Father and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit's not the Father and not the Son. And this is important because before all creation is called the covenant of redemption. The, the three persons of the Trinity made a covenant to redeem a people to themselves. Um, that, that's a noteworthy thing. And so it's also the teaching of scripture. You went through all the passages. You can look at a passage and say the Father's God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. The language of God is used for all of them. They all that the son does things only God can do, forgive sin, create life from death. The Holy Spirit convicts, makes new. Uh, but here's the doozy. The big one for me, and I'm going to go a little bit philosophical, but this is important. And I tell me if I need to explain this some more. In Christianity, you have the three persons of the Trinity completely unified in essence and will. And there's a relationship before they created. Father, Son, Holy Spirit have a relationship of mutual love and unity together. And then they decided this, maybe it sounds like this, th this is great. This love is great. Let's make, let's make something else. And we can also love those creatures. And so then they make, they create. And then creation falls. And then they respond and they loved the creation. And then when the creation rebelled, they love the creation so much that 
they all agree. The Father plans redemption. The Son accomplishes redemption. And the Holy Spirit applies redemption. So the three members of the Trinity are always involved in creation. It's the Father's plan. The Son does it in the power of the Spirit. Redemption is Trinitarian. So everything that we would say is the work of God is actually Trinitarian. But what's neat is that there was love in the community of the Trinity before there was anything else. In other religions where there's only a, it's called a monad, like Allah or other doctrines of God, where God is only God and there's nothing else. God has to exert power to create before God can love something else. So in other religions, if you have modalism, if you don't have a Trinitarian understanding of God, God has to exert power before God can love. Power's first, love is second. If you have a Trinity, there's already love among the members of the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, and there's love. And then out of love, they exert power to create. Love is first because of the Trinity. Thank you, Dr. Holcomb. And as we're coming near the end of our podcast, I want to ask you, as you were listening to our opening discussion, did we say anything wrong or just leave anything out that's important? You didn't say anything wrong. I mean, you, 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 you all have talked about history and theology the way I talk about it, and my fellow colleagues who teach theology talk about it. And I, I'm really impressed, um, only because you you left out some heresies, only because you can't talk about all of them. One of them, there's another one called Gnosticism, which believes that the body's bad and the spirit's good. That's another one, and that, I left this one out, um, not you all, but but there's just a whole list of different different types of heresies. We can't go into the weeds on all of them. We hit all the big ones, but Gnosticism says the body's bad, the spirit's good. Well, that doesn't make any sense of the incarnation. If the body's so bad, why did Jesus take on a second nature? Why did the son of God take on a second nature? And then why would he take his body back up in a resurrection if the body's so bad? Because people think they're going to go around. If, if you believe in Gnosticism, it's also dualism, you, you treat... God's creation, like it's not that important. You treat your body like it's not that important. Like, no, God made the body and soul to belong together. And we're going to have resurrected bodies in the new heavens and new earth. God likes, as C.S. Lewis says, God likes matter. He made it. So um, you didn't leave anything out and didn't say anything wrong. I just wanted to add in the whole thing about Gnosticism because that's another one that is alive and well today. Uh, we don't need to worry about, you know, you know, feeding people or taking care of God's creation and stewarding it well, because it's all going to burn. That, that's a dualistic Gnostic. Okay. And lastly, you and your wife have written some books for children. Could you tell us about them? Yeah. Yeah. We've written three books and therefore probably uh, younger than some of your audience. I, I know your audience is a wide spectrum. And um, I think, I think in the mailbag, you had a four, four-year-old, mm -hmm. a father with a four-year-old. Okay. So they're, they're children's books with illustrations, um, and they're for like three to eight-year-old, maybe nine or ten. Um, one of them is called God Made Me in His Image, which I believe you're giving away. Is that correct? Yes. That one, it looks at, it looks at the doctrine of creation and applies the doctrine of creation to body image. We live in a culture that tells us that our value comes from if we measure up to certain standards that different cultures say are valuable. And that's a horrible way to think about ourselves, especially when you have scripture that says, no, you're the image of God. And so my wife and I unpack, what does it mean to be 
the image of God. And we go through, uh, we, we talk about ancient Near Eastern culture and statues and how that worked. Uh, so uh, stuff that I teach in seminary again, but making it accessible. Another one that just came out is called God Made Babies, which is looking at the doctrine of creation and saying, look, God likes making things. He made things that can make other things. That's, so again, it's a doctrine of creation applied to answering the baby question. God made babies, helping parents answer the baby question. And so we go through a doctrine of creation and go through how, um, how God fills the world by, by making reproduction possible. The last one I want to talk about is called God made all of me, which also looks at the doctrine of creation and says, God made you made all of you, every part of you, and every part of God's creating of our body is special. And we have the right to determine that people don't harm us by the way they interact with us. And so that one is helping children uh, protect their body. So God made all, God made me in his image is helping children appreciate their bodies. God made babies is helping parents answer the baby question. God made all of me is helping children protect their bodies to be able to say, no, that's an inappropriate way of interacting, touching uh, me, no. And so it's body protection from uh, people who are evil, who want to harm children. And we want children to be protected as much as possible. I've read some of those books with my younger siblings and I can attest, they are very good. Thank you. That means a lot. As uh, we're, we're writing them for you and your siblings. So for you to say that is, means we've, we've accomplished our goal. So thank you. Dr. Holcomb, we are so thankful that you decided to spend this time with us and share your knowledge. And let's go to our website, kidstalkchurchhistory.org. And while you're there, would you consider making a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so they can continue to produce this podcast and other important content? Don't forget to tell your friends where they can find us and partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And on behalf of my co-host, Emma and Christian, I'm Trinity, and thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History. Mm-hmm.